Hello and welcome to the Mucky Middle. I'm Nick Hunter, co-founder and CEO of B Corp creative agency, Paper Moose. Today I'm excited to chat to Kat Long, CEO and co-founder of Trace, where she is focused on trying to help SMEs on their journey to becoming net zero. So you just came back from the UK, um, and is that kind of a new territory for you guys? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, Europe is just further ahead than Australia in so many ways for climate, much better adoption of renewable energy. That means that companies and individuals have just been on that journey for a lot longer. So it felt like a missed opportunity if we don't go there soon. And, you know, there's still a lot to achieve here in Australia. So it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a question mark about when we should do it. But because myself and my co-founder are from the UK, it kind of made sense personally as well to go and set up over there so that we've got a hub uh, on both sides of the world. So Joanna's just moved and we've just hired our first growth person over there so that hopefully we can start generating sales. Oh, uh, so, so, it's so, so you've separated the team across, across uh, borders. We were trying to do it from here before and, you know, it's just too hard to try and do sales and, and build that rapport when you've only got a window of two or three hours every every yeah. evening, you know, so... Um, it helps to have an English accent because people believe <laughs> that you're in the UK, but when you only give them, you know, a window of an hour to talk every day, it just What's doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Kat, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Um, can you tell me, tell me a little, let's just launch into it and tell me a little bit about young Kat. Like, <laughs> what did what did you want to be when you grew up? I oh, love that. I've been thinking, I was thinking about that on the way here and I was thinking, was I a real dreamer? Was I someone that had that clear sense? And I think probably not. Um, but if I look back on how I spent my time as a child, I definitely was a, a bossy leader of my sisters. <laughs> I was, um, I'm the oldest of four girls. So I think you'd always find me kind of bossing them around and doing plays and directing them. So there's always been a sense that I would love to kind of lead and, and direct my own thing. Interesting. I wonder if there is an over-indexing of like older older siblings in entrepreneurial roles and leadership roles. It'd be an interesting <sighs> study to see. Wouldn't it? I often have and get get into this conversation because I've got quite a few friends. I'm an older brother as well. Are you? There yeah. you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's really fascinating. I mean, they, they normally say that the kind of middle children are a bit more creative, so maybe they're a bit more. You know, they come up come up with wild ideas, but then maybe it's the older sibling that has the the kind to of be the responsible the responsible manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means in a creative agency, but. <laughs> <laughs> and so, how did so you're the CEO and co-founder of Trace? Right. Um, what made it? What was the seed of the idea that made you want to throw your life behind something like this? Oh, this is where I listen to a lot of podcasts and you always hear founders with this like really amazing story where it's been, you know, guiding them and there's, you know, then this penny dropped and, the, and they gave up everything to build it. I love it, accidental stories It, it as was well. not like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was probably a bit more cautious, if I'm honest. My co-founder and I, um, so again, she, so Joanna had a similar, I think, inkling that she wanted to build her own thing and she was in technology at the time. So we had quite complementary skill sets. Um, and for our sins, we ended up building a, um, a handbag brand on the side, just just as a bit of a test. And yeah, because one day we were we were shopping and we thought, you know what, there needs to be another handbag brand, <laughs> which I can contest now. But at the time, we felt really strongly about it. So um, we ended up doing that for about three years, just on the side of our full time jobs. Mm. And although it didn't really go anywhere, I've still got lots of stock that I would love to shift. Um, what it taught us was that firstly, we love working together mm. and felt like we were a really good partnership. Um, and secondly, we did want to build something, but it, it needed to be a company that could actually um, 
stand on its own two feet and mean that we could quit our jobs. So rather than just go, right, let's, let's launch a a business tomorrow. We joined a, um, I guess what they call like a generator program, which is like even earlier than an accelerator program. It's for aspiring founders that might have an idea, but they haven't really tested it yet. They don't have funding. We joined a program in, um, I think it was January, 2020, you know, second program, this, this venture capital fund had ever run in Sydney, um, just in time because we managed to get it finished just before COVID hit. So it was all, it was very immersive. Um, it was a really great program. You know, we both really wanted to solve something in climate and sustainability, having kind of just seen the bushfires and could see that it was a, a wave that was at least building in the UK or Europe, but hadn't really taken off here. There wasn't really such thing as climate tech three years ago, which might surprise you because now it's, you know, you hear you hear stories about climate tech all the time. So we we partnered with another another woman who um, worked in climate and she was on this program too. She's a she's a scientist by background. She's been in renewable energy investments for for years and she was the one that said have you seen this concept of carbon offsetting in the retail market for for individuals and we said no I mean I just thought that was for big companies Mm. so we did our research we found a few companies that had absolutely taken off in Europe and and the UK Um, and we thought well that's actually not that hard to build so why don't we try it we'll just get it off the ground it's a website with a subscription platform let's see if Aussies buy it. Mm -hmm. And that was Trace. So we came up with the branding. It was completely consumer facing. We wanted to basically empower individuals to take climate action just for a small contribution each, um, each month attached to sort of what their footprint was. So we built a calculator alongside that. Sadly, it didn't take off quite at the rate we had expected. Um, You know, we've probably got a few hundred subscribers, um, but it wasn't the exponential growth that our competitors in the UK had seen. But what it did was allow us to talk to loads of businesses that we tried to partner with. Um, so we were trying to kind of get into their employees as a growth strategy. And we found that actually it was the businesses that had the, the budget and the appetite to, to pay to take action. So that's when we spent about a year kind of evolving our B2C product into something that was um, business facing. Right. So originally it was a, a consumer product. Yeah. And if you go on the website, yeah, we still that. have a section yeah. called, you know, for individuals. Um, it's now very much a kind of non-core part of our business. Mm. But if people have want to offset their personal footprint, absolutely, we support that. Yeah, it's interesting because you see it so much now that you can offset your flight or offset right. all sorts of things with each product that you have Um I think it seems to be very much in the zeitgeist of people's brains around making their carbon footprint lower or as as little as possible. Yeah. Um, but yes, there is still that, I think, a bit of a gap, uh, knowledge gap in Australia, perhaps. Yeah, and scepticism, rightly so, mm. right? That, you know, offsetting, and I can I could spend hours talking about the, the benefits of carbon markets, um, but it's still not necessarily investing in the real problem, which needs to be decarbonization. Yeah. So we see it as a very useful tool to, I guess, incentivize change within a company and to have immediate impact, but it can never replace just actually reducing your footprint in the, pl- in the first place. Mm. And I think consumers feel that more than anyone because they kind of go, okay, I could pay $30 a month to sort of feel better about it, or I could just fly less or try and eat less meat, you know? So yeah. It's a bit. It's a constant philosophical battle, I think, in in people's heads. Well, what's that uh, saying? Whatever gets measured gets uh, can be managed. Can be managed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, since the change to from B to C to B to B, what, what's happened since then? Wow, it's been a it's been a long journey of of discovery and figuring out what companies really need and want. Um, so I remember, I think it was December twenty twenty. We kind of went right. We have. We have this model, this giant emissions emissions model, which is basically a big spreadsheet 
that we can use to help a company measure its footprint. Let's just offer it to some companies. And we offered it for free. And these small brands and tiny little kind of solo operators said, yeah, cool, I'll do it for free. And then the, the way that we monetized that was to say, well, once we've measured your footprint, um, well, you need to pay to offset. And we took a sort of clip on that. And then it was in about June 2021 that we went, we've got something here. We know we know what that process looks like and, and what they're looking for. So let's actually turn this into a, a, a scalable um, software platform. So that's when we hired our CTO. Um, and then it's been really just a, an evolution of that initial platform ever since. Amazing. Um, yeah. And, and so it's been three years now? Yeah, it would have been three years in April. Yep. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. And what, what have been the biggest uh, growth pains? Joanna and I joke that sort of every three months we have to like take the wings off the plane and then put them back on again, even though we're in flight. It, mm. it really feels like quarterly there's some sort of big shift. And often that's related to just what we've learned about our clients and their needs and then our teams fit for that. So normally it means, you know, we've got a great team and the foundational team are still there, but it, we suddenly go, wow, we're missing a skill that is, you know, this content development about something specific or, wow, we really need to get another engineer because we haven't got enough, um, you know, back-end development to, to build what we've just identified. So I think the hurdles are always a gap between what we need to achieve and build and, and who we have in the team. Mm. So again, it's not kind of replacing what we, who we've already got. It's just adding to that and trying to make sure that that works financially. Yeah, and building it sustainably, I guess. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and what about in the, the markets themselves? Like, have you seen a big shift? It, like, there's been a big focus on greenwashing mm. and, uh, I guess, uh, carbon credits and all that kind of thing is under under a microscope right now. Yeah. Um, how, how has that sort of shifted your conversations with clients? Yeah, good question. I think in 2021, when we were first sort of launching this product, it felt very novel for a company to be offsetting and they, and they felt really proud of that. And, and again, I I still think they should be, but in collaboration with, you know, a decarbonisation effort. So back then, clients would be so public and proud about any investment they made into carbon offsets. Now, for obvious reasons, because of the um, the, the, the scrutiny on markets, people are a lot, companies are a lot more um, nervous to announce that. And as a result, we've just really helped them do two things. One is actually identify opportunities for reduction so that offsetting is just complementary, not instead of taking mm. action. And then secondly, helping them feel confident about how to talk about it. Because if told in the right way as a complementary mechanism to decarbonization, it is incredibly powerful. If you just go out there and say, I can't tell you how many times companies will go, oh, we're already net zero. And that's because they don't understand the terminology. And, and it, I don't think it's malintent. Mm. I think it's just they've heard this term, kind of sounds like we're already there because we don't have a big footprint. So they go, we're net zero, which unfortunately is impossible because that really means like next to no emissions. Can you just give us a little breakdown on Trace and, and, and what the business is? Trace is a software platform for small to medium enterprise to help them on their journey to net zero. Net zero is essentially a 90% reduction in global emissions by hopefully 2030. 2050 is probably a little bit more um, realistic. So it's a very long journey and it's one that requires um, an understanding of today's emissions and then mechanisms to reduce that. And then only the very small remaining and unavoidable emissions need to be removed using carbon markets. So Trace helps SMEs on that journey by helping them measure emissions firstly. And that includes both the direct emissions they can control, like the fuel they buy and the electricity they buy, but also the indirect emissions through their supply chains. And then based on that assessment that we've done, we help you identify ways to reduce and mm -hmm. kind of give you support throughout the year to, to, to achieve that. 
And then for any remaining emissions that you want to immediately neutralize, we do also give them access to high quality carbon credits so that they can neutralize those emissions today. And what is the long term vision? Like, what, what, where do you see the business going? A kind of two two ways I like to think about Trace. One, I think it needs to be just this beautiful, simple platform that any business can use. So just like every company uses Zero for its financial mm-hmm. accounting, I believe Trace could be that platform for your carbon kind of management and measurement. So I, I do want it. I see Trace being the platform that any company uses and every company should use because I believe that carbon reporting will be mandatory for everyone in the future. Mm. But then the second is actually building like a community and uh, and an education platform to actually help people on that journey and, and to decarbonize. So a few analogies would be, you know, how B Corp, a lot of companies aspire to be B Corps, <laughs> nice. Um, and the B Lab community is incredibly passionate. There's people that give up their spare time to help other companies become B Corps. I want Trace to be the community where every company wants to go, hey, this is how we manage to decarbonize our supply chain. Can I help you do the same? Yeah, awesome. And educate one another's employees on that journey as well. Yeah, awesome. So do you give employees also tools and and the ways to sort of talk about it and about the journey and understanding what carbon neutrality is versus carbon negative, carbon positive? Right, yeah, yeah, you just uncovered exactly our problem, a lot of terminology that's misunderstood. So yes, we try to um, give them not only the tools but the education so someone from our team would go in and do a presentation to staff to go, this is what net zero actually means, this is your role as employees on that journey, here's some steps you can take in your personal life but also some steps you can take within the organization and then we provide updates and data so that you can track your progress over time interesting and how does the actual mechanism work do you do you plug into like zero so you can kind of see exactly where you know we're spending you know how much travel we're doing all that kind of thing yeah great question yes the answer the answer is yes like how much is manual <clears throat> versus automated it's kind of just up to the client um so we could measure an entire footprint of a company based just on their spend that's incredibly efficient. Yeah. It's not the most accurate. Mm. So we always try and encourage companies to provide kind of real activity data if they can. Some clients choose to kind of do it a lot more seamless and, and go for the spend-based approach, but larger companies more and more are seeing the benefit of using real activity data to get a granular picture mm. because that gives them more levers to, to pull rather yeah. than just spend less. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Because uh, we've we've explored this as well okay. um, as a B Corp, and yeah, you know, we run off renewables. You know, we're in office, but but then you think about okay, but people travel here. Mm-hmm. They get here by do they get here by bike? Not yep. everyone. Yep. Uh, they sometimes drive. They take public transport. So there's all of these other things you don't necessarily think about mm-hmm. as the carbon element of running sure. this business. Sure. And just kitting out this office, right? Oh, yeah. And and the you know the the paper, the pens. I know it's small, but hmm. these things all contribute and if you can start choosing sustainable suppliers for each of those things, yeah. you're going to get very close to net zero because you've ticked off the big one already, which is electricity. Yeah. Yeah. We we did a um a big piece with um Australian Ethical in the early part of the year with just sort of capturing what is the most effective way of reducing your carbon footprint. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was it was really, I mean, I, I was shocked looking at. So I knew that beef was really bad, and I, <laughs> you know, I, I really try and reduce uh, eating eating meat generally. But um, I was amazed to see how much that would actually affect my carbon. Um, you know, changing electricity, changing my super, you know, yes. all of these simple things that you can yes. do are actually quite easy ways to um, reduce your carbon footprint. 
Yes, I think probably the hardest for most people, especially here in Australia, is flying. Yeah. <laughs> One day we will have, you know, renewable fuels, but yeah. we're a while, a, while, a while off that. But the things you just said are, make a huge impact. And similarly within an organization, if you're doing catering or going out for events, you know, considering what kind of meals you're buying will make a big difference. And so you've become a expert on, on carbon counting <laughs> in the last three years. What was that like? I mean, how, how did you sort of get up to speed on that? Had you ever touched on that in your previous roles? No, I'll be honest, I hadn't. The foundations were there in that my background has been in uh, strategy consulting mm. in financial services. And, you know, I felt confident I could learn it quickly just by by doing carbon accounting on behalf of clients and working out how to do it by reading a lot of open source um, materials. And the good news is there's there's lots out there. So I've basically become very familiar with the, uh, the GHG protocol, which is kind of a global standard. It's fairly flexible. It's fairly well, very well adopted. Um, and, you know, I'm constantly learning because you get a new client that has a new activity that I've never measured before. And you just go out there, you Google it and you figure out a way to measure it or talk to a couple of experts in the industry. Um, so, yeah, learning by doing is always the best way, in my opinion. Love that. And um, how, how do you find, I mean, running a business, obviously you have employees, mm -hmm. you haven't had employees in your previous roles. Maybe you've managed people, but mm -hmm. it's very different when you're running your own business. How's that experience been? A learning curve for sure. Mm. Um, I mean, yes, as as you said, ma managed people in the past, but not not employed them and kind of been been you know their leader as well. It's a real juggle, um, and it all comes down to finding people you can like really trust and rely on and actually hand over stuff to. And that's probably something that I could do better in is is really releasing some of the things I do and allowing other people in the team to own it. It's taken me 12 years to do that. Oh, any, any tips? Very welcome. How to expedite that would be lovely. Um, but we are lucky that because we work in a a, a for-purpose space, we mm. can attract amazing people. You know, we, we can't pay them what they might get in a Canva or, you know, a bank or something, but we can give them stock options. We can incentivize them through just doing really meaningful work. So we've been lucky to get incredibly smart people, but smart people always also have high expectations and they need, you know, clear guidance and, and um, they need to know where they're heading. So I think balancing the doing and the sort of helicopter view of where the business is going is something I'm constantly working on. I guess that's difficult also when you're a small, how big is the team? Uh, 15. 15, yeah. So I guess it's difficult when you're trying to build out, uh, you know, long-term um, journeys on, on, their, on their development and all that kind yeah. of thing when you are a small <laughs> team because you have to try and keep nurturing them and mm. they can see progression, but mm -hmm. you are a small team. So it, it, it can only sort of happen it, as the business itself grows. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think each person is on a very different kind of life journey as well. So mm. that's been a bit of a learning for me as well that, you know, some very young, um, motivated and ambitious employees, you know, might keep their keep their eyes out for the next opportunity as they should. They might find that they could learn more quickly elsewhere, whereas some can really see that we're on a really exciting journey here and that they have a leadership opportunity at Trace. So kind of understanding where they are in their life journey and what, you know, what mm. they, what matters to them outside of work does impact their longevity, I think, and how much we, we can be their employer of the future. And I think always with the smaller teams, you're also giving them a lot more to do. Mm. You know, you're not a small cog in a big machine. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're actually... You're in the deep end. <laughs> you're in the deep end. You're being enabled. You're being trusted to do a lot more often. Um, That's so which true. Which I think is often a benefit. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about 
uh, how you look for employees? Like, obviously, you're a purpose-driven organization. You do awesome things. So it must be relatively easy in some ways mm. to capture the right type of staff and mm. the values-aligned staff. I think where we've been really successful is where people have approached us when we're not hiring and we've got to know them or we've made a role available for them mm. because then they're not just looking for a job because they need a job. They specifically want to work for Trace and we've shaped up a role that meets their needs. So there's a couple of our staff that have come to us that way. Um, Our head of sales and growth is a great example. We were hiring a senior leader last year. He wasn't quite ready to move, but we kept in contact. And then this year he kind of, we we re-engaged and he said, look, are you you ready for a more senior role? And we said, it wasn't actually on the roadmap, but we want you. Mm. And we made that role available and it's been incredibly, um, you know, successful bringing him on board. When we sort of desperately need someone quickly, you, you run the risk of just taking what's in front of you. So we try not to do that and make sure that we are screening for genuine, I guess, alignment to our mission Mm. um, and, and startup experience, you know, where we have, Hired in the past, people coming, say, from larger enterprises and and coming into a startup, they might want the experience of working for a startup, but they may not necessarily, you don't know they're going to love it. Don't understand what that actually means. Exactly. And some people thrive and some don't. Um, It's very similar to independent agencies and and big holding companies. I can imagine. Again, you know, the idea of it is quite nice, but then when you get into it, it's like, oh, where's all of this support? You want me to do all of this thing? Yeah, the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where's the, my training? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're going to learn learn on the job and I'm going to help, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it. And, I, and I ha- I've lived and breathed that. I came mm. from large corporate and enterprise, so I know I've had to literally unlearn everything I've learned um, in terms of kind of perfectionism and getting everything perfect for your clients mm. because we don't have time for that. But equally, I'm, you know, I might be leading one day and then literally doing the financial model and the and the invoice reconciliations the next day. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just got to be comfortable doing you gotta it all. Be able to roll roll with the punches. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so it's gone from yourself and your co-founder to fifteen. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of gear shifts mm. within that. Um, mm. How have you managed sort of the different dynamics of? I remember when it was just sort of the five of us that started the business to, yeah. you know, eight to 16 to 24 yeah. to 30. It was, they're quite different changes that you have to go through as a founder and a, and a sort of running the business. 100%. I'm trying to put my finger on when the kind of biggest changes have been. I think probably that right now mm. is, is the biggest change. For the first two years, I think the maximum we ever had was sort of six people. And then it was quite manageable. You know, between Joe and I, we maximum had three people to sort of to manage. And then often there might have been somebody directly line managing people below them. Once you're 15, it's not, you're not quite big enough to have a whole layer in between you, Mm. you know, sort of like a management team. So we've got a lot of direct reports, um, quite a lot of uh, like sort of joint and dual reporting lines, which... I think are important for collaboration. You know, you don't want the mm. product team to be completely siloed from the growth team, but equally it, it's not perhaps not that efficient from a mm. management point of view. And there's a lot of sharing of information and doubling up on meetings and things. So we're still working through that. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we're facing at the moment, but I see that as an opportunity. Yeah, it's exciting. You have to also, yeah, I guess you always have to see the challenges as opportunities as a CEO. <laughs> yeah, someone said the challenges are just a solution looking for a problem. I yeah. was like, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's also a massive headache. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't go away at the yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Talking about the weekend, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned that you've uh, got a, a young um, son. son. Yes. 
Um, is, is that your first? It is, yep. So balancing family life and running your own business uh, is challenge. I, I, I do it the same. Do you, I've, yes. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and yes, it is a challenge. So <laughs> tell me. I mean, it has definitely been a challenge, but a few things. One, my husband has been unbelievably supportive um he was also able to take off six months last year so he I went back to work after 12 weeks and he kind of did the lion's share of childcare until um until Leo went to to nursery since he's been in nursery it's a lot it's obviously more manageable you know we're not Mm. trying to juggle it just means you've got to be disciplined about the start and the end of the day there's no more oh I'm just going to work till 8 p.m yeah you know what it's like the you've got to be there at daycare pickup and to be honest I think that's been positive because it just creates a bit of structure in your life um, what I love about it is that when you're with your son, you can't be thinking, it's very hard to be thinking about work when you're kind of doing bath time or something. So mm. it, it does give you that natural, um, shut off period, shut off period. Mm. Exactly. And then I don't mind doing an hour or two after that in the evening. Um, I think what the challenge is, is, is finding time for your, for, for partners, right? Often the first mm. thing I find is that he's the first to suffer, you yeah. know, Trace and Leo get all my attention. <laughs> Even my friends, if they say, let's go out, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then, Maybe in six you know, months. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I think it's just balancing. It's just one more thing to balance. And, and because they're so demanding, mm. um, it, it is a big one that means that you have to sacrifice other things in your life. Exercise has probably been my biggest one. <laughs> yep, I hear you. I don't think I've gone to the gym in three years. So uh, I'm, I'm working my way back to it now that, you know, we're starting to get some sleep patterns. Um, Love it. I'll, I'll try and do some regular exercise again. Oh, but, let me um, know. Yeah, yeah. Inspire me, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, once I figure it out. Um, tell me about sort of the brand building side of mm. Trace. Um, obviously, we're a creative agency and brand agency. So, you know, I love I love talking about brands. Um, how did that sort of all come about? Like, obviously, the name is intrinsically linked into what you do. It's yes. a great name. Tell me about the process. I, yeah, it's funny. We uh, Neither of us are sort of brand marketeers, communications mm. people. Um, jo definitely has a, has a great artistic eye. She actually just paints in her own time. So has anything visual, of course, we have designers to help us, but she's kind of the brains behind that. Um, but the name was unbelievably serendipitous. I can just remember us going through a million different things and writing them all down. None of them were sticking. And then one of us said it. I can't remember where it came from. We just went, that's it. That's yeah. it. Like it's all about traceability, transparency, mm. like tracing your impact, leave a positive trace. And and equally with the logo, we got a freelancer to do it as a favor for free. And, it, and we've, we've never looked back. I mean, mm. I think what we're still working on is sort of tone of voice. Um, we've always wanted to be the brand that's very approachable, friendly, accessible, because it's not meant for people that are climate geeks it's Mm. we want to empower anyone to be the kind of sustainability guru at work so it needs to be really like i'm your friend in this but more and more the scrutiny is increasing around this space so we need to balance like friendliness and accessibility with credibility Mm. and i think we're still finding the right balance there yeah it's interesting uh, because a lot of our work is with a lot of purpose-driven organizations and i find that the tone of voice can be quite sincere and a little bit finger waggy or mm. um somewhat righteousness you know yes. sometimes can come across a little bit yes um and a lot of what we do is is to try and infuse humor and make the brands more human Love that. um just to make them more accessible as well because Love you know that. the the, the 
the people that are already on board are already our customers and we need to sort of grow the pie and, and yep. uh, make sure that more people are, are coming into the fold of, of all these great initiatives. So, but, but it is interesting to, to then balance the trust element because there, that is such 100%. a major issue at the moment. Oh, um, and it, it's got to be authentic, right? Yeah. So, yeah, when you, if you're talking about purpose, but that's not your core of your business, it needs to not sound like it's just this add-on thing that you did because you felt like you had to. And I, mm. I think that is really hard. And it's something that a lot of our clients come to us and say, help us communicate this. And I, I'd say we're, we're okay at it, but we're not a, we're not a creative agency. Mm. So I actually think there's a real opportunity for us to have partnerships in with creative agencies to help or, and comms agencies mm. to help tell that story in an authentic way. Cause it can't just be cookie cutter. Like you should all say this cause then it's not going to seem more authentic. Yeah. And I guess that is the opportunity for you as a brand to sort of be differentiated from some of your competitors because there yes. seems to be quite a few competitors popping up now. Yes. Uh, in the last sort of two years, I've noticed yep. a few things sort of, you know, people knocking on my door going, can we please, uh, you know, you're a B Corp, so you should Yes, be- <laughs> I bet you get targeted a lot. <laughs> I get targeted a lot. Um, but it is interesting to see that market change and, and the growth in it, even with the, yeah. um, I guess, the skepticism and the ACCC, you know, cracking down on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think there's the the offsetting side um, has has boomed, and there's a lot of startups in that space trying to create kind of credibility and transparency around offsetting and removals. And then you've got the carbon accounting side, which mm. is growing very fast because there's this recognized recognition that disclosures are coming. You know, it's not mandatory in Australia for many companies, apart from the big oil giants and the big emitters basically today but it, it's about to be i'd imagine in 2024 most of the listed companies will need to report their emissions and and therefore they need ways to do that traditionally it's consultancies and mm. i think there's still a big role to, for those for consultancies to play for large enterprise because it's complex you know you just need bums on seats kind yeah. of crunching numbers um but then for any of their suppliers that's us, but we're not the only one, as you said. So I think that brand um, and community building is is what sets us apart. And so, is the core product carbon accounting? It, would that be kind of the core? It's kind of the gateway product. It's the gateway you product. Can't, you yeah. kind of can't and then you do bolt anything. On all these other things. Yeah, because you kind of can't start your journey to net zero without knowing what your emissions are today. So it'd be it'd be hard for us to sell the kind of solutions without creating the baseline so mm. that's sort of the entry point and that's something we do for clients every year is help measure their footprint but ultimately we're building a, a marketplace and a community and a platform for education referrals to sub- carbon neutral or, or sustainable suppliers you know employee engagement tools so it's it's supporting you along the whole journey because it is a long one yeah so you can be that hub of the coach kind of getting yeah, getting us to, to the to the right place. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll connect people with, say, uh, renewable energy suppliers and that kind of thing as well. So there's a, a B2B2B kind of side thing. Yeah, a very loosely at the moment that's sort of just referrals. You know, yeah. do you need someone? Yeah, we, we know somebody. But ultimately we think it'll that could be, be become a, a bit more a marketplace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. And so tell me a little bit about, I guess, finding the balance between being commercially successful and a purpose-driven organization. I mean, it's a bit different because what you do is purpose-driven. Yeah. Um, but I guess there must have been some sacrifices on the way and, and challenging sort of decisions. I just, I don't see them at all at odds. Mm. Um, you know, we're selling a subscription to a product um, for pro- for profit. We're never trying to shy away from the fact it's for profit. No. Um, so, I, yeah, I just I just don't see th- see them being at odds at all. That's great. I, I guess, you know, talking a little bit about the, the carbon offsetting, you could go 
heavily into that space. True. And but but you haven't sort of tried to cash in on that. You've mm. kind of really helping people understand and measure their effects, which might be less profitable in some ways. Yeah, it's a great point. Um we have thought about it because, you know, clients come to us all the time saying, Can you help us with projects? Can you help us procure? So and we've we could theoretically go and sort of start our own projects and create mm, like our own. Tree planting and that kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. Totally different business model. Mm. Um, and we looked around and we just thought there are enough companies doing this exceptionally well that mm. have already built a brand that we can just partner with and they can be our trusted carbon offset provider um, rather than us trying to be everything to everyone. Uh, whereas the software, it is, and the accessibility of the software and the branding is what we think we can differentiate on, particularly when it comes to employee engagement and culture. Yeah, awesome. And uh, where are you in your sort of funding cycles? We have done, I guess, globally what you'd call a pre-seed so mm -hmm. far. We've raised three million Aussie. Um, we'll be raising again middle of next year. Mm -hmm. um, and that will be a sort of larger round. Hopefully we'll be able to get investors from both the UK and Australia because we'll have you know revenues in both. And that will help us really like triple the size of the team and actually double down on what we've proven. So mm. this year is all about we call building for scale so that the product is ready to scalable, go. ready to go, can handle thousands of clients and mm. then testing our growth engine. So, you know, which, where do we want to be investing our sales and marketing effort um, so that when we do get money from in external investors, we know what to spend that on. Yeah, interesting. It's, uh, yeah, because we work with a bunch of startups in the, particularly in the main sequence uh, ecosystem. Oh, yeah, yep. um, And it, yeah, it's really interesting to sort of get a glimpse at, you know, Josh and I started the business with a, a 5D camera and, and no investment <laughs> and just, you know, investment of time and, and effort, but, yeah. um, you know, no external funding. So it's always interesting to understand that whole ecosystem. It's just so foreign to me. I'm envious. Um, it's, uh, it would be nice if we didn't <laughs> have to rely on, th on, uh, external funding because, yeah. you know, you feel very at risk because it's, you know, ultimately not in our control. So mm. we can do everything like we can to set the business up for success. And I believe we, we will do that, but there's every chance with a, continuing poor market you know ca cost of capital is so high at the moment that mm. the, the barriers to entry for funding and the expectation and the thresholds expected to to achieve venture capital funding have have increased a lot mm. the good news is we've got a, a business that that could be self-sustainable if we needed to go that way you know we've we've got an advisory team we could start doing more sort of bespoke projects and consulting if we decide that's the right way to go how do you reconcile the level of risk well, how do you how do you deal with that on a day to day basis? Because I imagine it, you know, it would be quite stressful. Yeah, I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think having this security that we can flip the business model if we need to really yeah. helps, and that we could do that tomorrow. The other thing is, I'd say we're more cautious than some in in uh, recruitment. So, you know, I think after twenty twenty one, so many startups received. Uh, absurd amounts of funding and you know good on them I remember at the time thinking how have they done that I'm jealous you know they've, they've managed to raise so much more than us but the risk with that comes that you know you you go too hard and you spend too much money because you're you've got all this cash in the bank you burn you out go, too quickly right you burn out you spend too much you hire 20 extra people in a few months mm. and then sadly we've seen a lot of layoffs right and that's mm. just because they've been now the the, the tides have turned on funding all of the investors are saying 
preserve your money, keep the cash in the bank. And the way to do that is to, to be cutting back on headcount. Mm. So we've, we're doing the opposite and that's what I'm really excited about. It doesn't mean we're going crazy, but you know, we've, we've added five people to our team this, this month. That's because we can, we can afford to, and we've proven why we've proven that we need those staff. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's been a, partly our culture that's helped drive that kind of cautious growth. And cause you mentioned before that, um, yeah, this is a really your first serious startup. Yeah. Um, do you have like a, an advisory board or like where do you get, um, I guess, expertise advice from? Yes. Um, no official advisory board, but some incredibly smart and helpful investors. I'd say yes. they're probably our most useful um, resource. So uh, three venture capital funds, they are, you know, you can pick up the phone to the partners and say, look, I've I'm having this challenge and normally they'll have somebody else in their ecosystem that has had a similar experience and they can connect you to. Um, but we've also got a lot of angels and, and founders within our um, f- fundraising or sort of in our investor um, portfolio as well, which is great because they have literally lived and breathed what we're doing. Mm. And therefore you, it takes no time for them to understand what we're going through. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. I can go, this is the problem. And within three seconds, they've just distilled it and figured it out and gone, yep, I've had that exact problem. Here's how you might want to think about it. And, and tell me, like, what, what is your, your hopes and dreams for the business? Where do you see it in kind of like next five, 10 years? I want to be, a, you know, a global software platform and community that, that thousands of businesses are using day to day and shout about and, lo- and are proud to use our brand as a, as a mark of positive impact, you know, in, impact has to be through scale but also through pride and using our brand as a a mark of credible impact Mm. so yeah kind of back to those analogies you know it's the the zero of the carbon accounting world in that it's so widely adopted and and so easy to use um but also the b corp of the carbon world because people are so proud to to have that stamp of of credibility and what do you think is the kind of the biggest challenge to to get to that place Right now, it probably is fundraising, mm. um, honestly. I think just we need to prove a certain amount of growth between now and this time next year to be able to unlock that capital. And if we can do that, then we have money in the bank to go and really execute on our kind of broader dreams. Um, at the moment, we're having to do it as you know quite lean. Mm. And that comes with constant sort of a tug of war of what should we be spending our money on and our time on it's a lot of uh, hustling uh, phase kind we of. are in hustling phase yeah, yes yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> how do you keep your energy up with with that because it I, I mean i find this and, and i'm kind of the the chief sort of growth element of yes, the business as okay. well so over 12 years you know continuously sort of moving it and pushing it to mm-hmm. its next place mm-hmm. it's sometimes hard to find those reserves of energy mm-hmm. to come in day in day out and and sort of keep that uh, momentum going yes how do you find that luckily my personality is fairly high energy like i, get I, do, that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, do, I i don't get me wrong i need i need a break and i do generally try and excuse me, completely switch off at weekends and just have that for family only or maybe do kind of an hour or two, but I'm not sort of thinking about it the whole time because I do need to recharge the batteries. But I'm extroverted and I, I like people and I, and I am positive and optimistic. So I don't, I don't find it like I'm really having to show up. But at the same time, what I do find is that therefore the team become, the team's energy becomes quite reliant on me and my co-founder who's a similar personality type and that's not practical because mm-hmm. then when we go on holiday or we take a few days off or we're sick or whatever, 
you can't have the whole team kind of slumping and uh, and suddenly kind of not talking to one another. And that's not the case though. You know, there's a good mm. culture, but it's still, I'd say, a little bit too reliant on us. Previously, you, you mentioned earlier before I started recording everything, your business partner has headed over to the UK. Yep. And so you're setting up the business in a, in Europe now as yep. well. Yep. What, what was the kind of the main reason for that? To realize the dream that I just explained of being like a, a, a global brand and software platform. You know, you can't build in little isolated Australia. Frankly, it, firstly, the market's just not big enough to attract the kind of potential scale. But secondly, I think we're a bit behind in terms of climate knowledge, um, adoption of, of real kind of solutions to reach net zero, um, partly politically driven. Um, so I think having a foot in that progressive market actually keeps us on our toes here in Australia and there's a lot of knowledge sharing that can happen and, and Joanna even having been there a month is already kind of sharing a lot of what she's learning and insights from over there that's helping us um, inform the product here so that's one reason um, the second is is personal like I think as as Brits it's nice to have it's nice to have had you know another office in a in a city where you want to spend time because some people say to us why didn't you go to the US that's the biggest market it's a great question and I, I don't rule it out at all over the next couple of years mm. but from you know we've still got to establish the team here we've still got work to do here in Australia and the UK felt like a much more natural fit for us personally and, and I presume there'd be a heap more competition over in the UK as well a lot more yeah. yeah. It's a more mature market. It's more, well, it's funny. I mean, it, it's more mature, but I'd say our oldest competitor is six months older than us. Ah, interesting. Everything is very, very new. You know, yeah. it was really, really was 2020 that I think carbon accounting for SMEs or kind of climate action for SMEs started being mm. a thing. Mm. Um, and actually uh, our kind of main competitor over there started in the B2C world as well and took a very long time to build its B2B software so it's actually only just launched that software now um whereas we've been in market testing our product for a lot longer mm. so they're probably better known they've got a much more recognized brand over there but actually maybe less experienced so to be honest this is just a bit of a race but equally i think there's room for mo for multiple yeah, right yeah, you know to use the Euro zero example again they're not the only accounting platform mm. um so i mean I, how many smes are there in just australia there's exactly millions yeah, so millions yeah yeah <laughs> Interesting. Um, tell me a little bit. Uh, what what's been your favorite? Like, or what, what's been your most proud moment in in the journey so far? I do not take enough time to reflect on what <laughs> I'm proud of. Um, I, I think I'm just continuously proud that we're still going and still going strong. It, mm. It's not a sort of moment. I think every time we're able to hire somebody else, um, it's a, it's validation that we are growing and that we have got a really sustainable business here. Um, where I get flat is where we've kind of stayed stagnant for a long time. You know, the team hasn't changed. We haven't been able to add to the team so we're not sure who to hire. As soon as we've proven out the hypotheses that mean we can then invest in that, that's where I get excited and, and proud that we've done that. So mm. that's happened in a few different times throughout our journey. But every time we bring on a kind of key new person, I feel just so proud that we're able to do that. Yeah, awesome. When you feel like there's that momentum and that oh, growth. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I think that's the only time I I struggle finding those, you know, is when there is a bit of a, a, a shallow period. Of, yeah. Um, you feel like you're not necessarily moving as fast as you want to, yes. uh, which, you know, for impatient people is sometimes <laughs> difficult as well. Yes, um, no, that's so true. And you've got, 
I'm sure it's the same with you and that, you know, I'm sure you have competitors and you look around, and you go, oh, they feel like they're moving faster than us or they're doing better. And you have to pinch yourself and go, no, look what we've achieved. Don't try not to compare yourself yeah. externally too much. That's really good advice. Um, so when you look back um, now, uh, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting it over, for, over from scratch? thought about this a lot and uh, the fact that I can't think of anything is not because I think that I've done it perfectly by any stretch. But if I were to do it again, I would do it differently because I have the experience. I wouldn't be learning everything from scratch. But mm. if I was telling myself back then, the reality is I was doing it all from scratch. There was no way to really expedite that learning. I would probably have had more conviction around where we were going earlier on, kind mm. of trying to be clear on the vision of it being a B2B company and what the potential economics of that look like, because we may have been able to attract a bit more funding early on. But again, like that, that's not held it's us back. Of hindsight. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do think about that, but I, I think it's just have faith that you're going to get, get it done. Don't, don't worry too much. Um, I think sometimes it's also the, some of the things that we consider mistakes are the things that actually form um, the good things that happen later on down the track because yeah. you wouldn't know not to make that mistake when yes. it was perhaps slightly less consequential exactly. um, now when it is sort of of consequence. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a difference of kind of what advice would you give yourself versus what would you do differently next time? Mm. Those two things are different. I don't know if I would have changed that much going backwards because mm. uh, it's led me to where we are and I'm pleased with that. But doing it again, it would I'm sure it would be more efficient. You know, we'd, <laughs> yeah. we'd get our first customers quicker. Yeah. We would hire the right people sooner. You know, there, you there know would the be... formula now. It exactly. would be cheating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not just do another one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, just roll. Oh, no, I don't think I have the energy now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not with two kids. Like, exactly. Oh. Um, and so what, I guess... In terms of that, what advice would you give to um, young founders or, or people with a kernel of an idea? Do it with someone. Mm. I just, hats off to anyone that does it alone. Mm. It is, you have crisis of faith, you have big decisions you need to make and trying to make them on your own would be so difficult. Have, do it with somebody you trust deeply who brings a different perspective and a different skill set. They don't have to be that different. That's another thing I would say, because I think there's an obsession that you need, like the technical founder and the commercial founder. I think it's fine if you're both semi-commercial. You just don't want to both want to do exactly the same job. That would mm. be a bit tricky. So definitely do it with somebody else. Find and embed yourself in the ecosystem of other of other founders and, and investors, um, not only because you might then secure funding from them, as we have, but also just that advice that you asked about before, just being able to have a few people have done this a few times to mm. pick up the phone to. And, you know, let's imagine that's me. If a fa another founder said, oh, I need to hire someone. This is the challenge I'm having or I'm fundraising and this is what do you think I should do? I'm not going to try and tell them I know what's best, but I can at least tell them what I did and they might learn from that. So I think who you're surrounded with and who you're doing this with is the single most important thing because a lot of people talk about financial runway. That's fairly obvious. You know, if you can't keep that going, you probably Kevin are out stakes. of business. Yep. Um, but I think people forget about your emotional, um, emotional runway as founders. And mm. to extend that, you need to be enjoying coming to work every day and doing it with people you love. Love that. Thank you so much, Kat. It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you for joining us at Paper Moves in the Bunker. Thank you so much, Nick. I've loved it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Mucky Middle. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And if you did, then drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening. 
We'll see you next month for another episode, but in the meantime, we hope you'll keep walking that fine line between profit and our planet. The Mucky Middle is a Paper Moose production. Music and sound mix by Caleb Jacobs.